Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. I am your host, Billy Powell. You're listening to this on Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. That's all one word, Keeping the Nostalgia Alive at podbean.com. That's Keeping the Nostalgia Alive dot podbean.com. I have over 170 episodes uh, that you can download, listen at your convenience about uh, the great game of basketball, be it from the state of Indiana, be it from anywhere in the world. Uh, also within there, we've got some uh, baseball interviews. We've got a music interview in there, but uh, most of it's basketball because I have a passion for it. And most of my interviews, all of my interviews, actually, I have six degrees of separation with them. And that means somehow, some way, I'm connected to this person and uh, today's guest, I've actually seen play twice, once at Bloomington, Indiana, and twice at Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm talking about NBA veteran, the 16th pick of the first round of uh, the New Jersey Nets, and current assistant coach for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, Rex Walters. Rex, thanks, Coach, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to help keep the nostalgia alive and sh- share your stories and love the game of basketball. No, hey, thank you for having me, Billy. I, I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's fun to talk basketball, and you've had some podcasts. I have my own podcast, at, not nearly as successful as yours, so it's, thanks for having me on. <laughs> uh, we, we don't know about that. It probably is more successful than mine. I, I just have a passion for this and love to do it, but thank you. Uh, awesome. awesome. Uh, Rex, tell us, tell us a little bit uh, about where you were born and raised, tell us a little bit about your parents and who introduced you to this great game of basketball. Wow. So, um, my mother's actually Japanese. Uh, my father uh, grew up in Quincy, Illinois, and they met while he was in the service. He was in the air force. So, um, they moved around a lot. I I was actually born in in Nebraska, uh, while my father was still in the service. And then he joined Lockheed missiles in space so we moved around from there to Aurora, Colorado, uh, and then around uh, second grade, I moved to California, where basically um, that's where I was raised in San Jose, California. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of where I come from. Um, the first per- first person to introduce me, well, I, I watched a lot of television, and, and so uh, you know there wasn't a lot of basketball on at that time. But my brother and my father were really the two, and my brother probably had the biggest influence on me when I was young took me out to the front yard would shoot with me would would tell me certain things about the game he was a pretty good player himself pretty good athlete also ran track played golf and played some basketball but he was 10 years older than than I was so he was really the guy that I looked up to uh growing up so he he kind of took me under his wing a little bit I would uh, follow him wherever he went whenever he went to go play when he was in high school and then and then later on as he grew up, he would kind of show me things, go to the front yard, and really introduce me to the game. And during those, uh, you know, your younger years, was there a, a particular team that was always in the newspaper, always on TV, where you had a favorite team or favorite player that you, you watched or tried to emulate your game up from? Well, my favorite player growing up was Julius Irving. So he, he was the guy that every year when they lost the championship, I'd, I'd you know, but cry, cry like a baby and be upset. And, but also the guys that I, I really watched their game, and, and you may know some of these guys because, you know, especially one of them is an Indiana guy, Kyle Macy. Uh, my brother, you know, showed me about how he wiped his hands off on his socks before every free throw, and he was a great, great player at Kentucky. Another guy that I watched a lot, Danny Ainge, as I got a little bit older, he was a guy. So, you know, as a, as a white kid playing this game, I would – obviously start watching guys that were also you know white that that made it and and that was a big thing for me was to try to make it and so Kyle Macy were big influences Dr. J also Danny Ainge you know guys like that that that's uh had an impact on me when I was a young kid. Speaking of Dr. J, we're probably, I think I'm three years older than you, but uh did you wear any of the docks or the weapons from Converse? <laughs> I, I did have a pair of red, just your basic uh, Converse All Stars um, that that I would wear, um, but I didn't ever get the weapons. You know, the weapons to me were more like Magic and Bird, so I never I never sported the weapons. I, I got into Nike stuff, but but yeah, just basically the the basic can uh, the the Converse. It was just the basic, you know, your your little 
your little stripe and then your star. Uh, but that I only wore those one year, I believe. After that, I went to more like Adidas Top Tens, Nike Legends, uh, the Air Force Ones. And each year, you know, my, my gift each year for Christmas was a pair of new basketball shoes. That's how much I loved it. <laughs> you, you know, growing up in Indiana, up until 1997, you know, all – all the high schools competed down to two t- to the final four and then to the two teams and you had one true state champion. So tell us tell the tell the listeners a little bit of how high school basketball was and how it was played in California. Uh, I mean a lot of talent. There there's a lot of talent. I mean my high school team we had a guy named Lucius Davis who ended up being the Big West player of the year when he went to Santa Barbara. We had a 6-9 kid named Kim Camp who later on got a scholarship at at Cal State Fullerton after he went to junior college. Uh, we had uh, we had a really, really good team, especially my senior year. My, my sophomore junior team, we had good teams as well. And we'd win leagues, but we could never get past our section. So California is divided up into about 12 to 13 sections. Uh, and to win your, you win your section, you get a chance to go to NorCal. If you win NorCal, you have a chance to go to state, and that's just the, the Northern California champion versus the Southern California. We never got out of our section. The closest we got was the section semifinal. You got a lot of really good players. It, it doesn't have the same fanfare because I, I was an assistant at Valpo for a while, so I got to experience some of um, Indiana high school basketball. But but uh, great players, um, a, a lot of really good players. I mean, there's, the population's so big. There's you know, and obviously LA is really good basketball, but but uh, not the fanfare, but at the same time, uh, really good players, um, some, some really good coaches out there. Uh, and that's why, you know, to this day, I still recruit the state. And, and uh, compare it a little bit. So, so you, were, you know, when you were assistant at Valpo, and uh, at Valpo, was, was a Drew a, um, uh, a head coach there? Or who was the head coach while yeah, you were assistant? Home, home, well, here's an example of how good Indiana basketball was when I was an assistant at Valpo. In one day, I could go to Carmel High School and watch Josh McRoberts. I can go to North Central and watch uh, some great, great players. That I want to say uh, Eric Gordon was just a sophomore at that time. Then you go over and you can see Greg Oden. You can see Michael Conley. And then uh, uh, we were actually recruited and signed a kid named Brandon McPherson, who was a really good player um from Lawrence North but you could you could see all of those players in one day I mean that's how good the city of Indianapolis was uh so it was fun for me I could I could get in my car I could drive about two maybe two and a half hours from Valpo and in one day I could see all really good players some players we'd actually get we weren't going to get McRoberts we weren't going to get Odin but um Indiana basketball is big time I mean it's big time and about Valparaiso High School they had uh, Robbie Hummel uh, and I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the other kid that was a good player as well. But, uh, I mean, Indiana basketball is big time. And, and just going to games, and like, you know, like I said, you see the passion in the state of Indiana. We kind of used it against them uh, when I was at Kansas because we always felt like Indiana thought they invented the game. And we'd always say, well, no, we actually have, <laughs> we actually have the guy that invented the game. He was actually one of our coaches. So we kind of used that a little bit as a, as a rallying point for us. You know, I made the mistake. You actually may have even been there. I made the mistake. My uh, a, a good friend of mine uh, went to Kansas, and and uh, I lived in uh, Overland Park, Olathe, Lenexa for about five years there in Kansas. And uh, he said, "Do you want to go? We, we we traded. Do you want to go to uh, uh, to Allen Fieldhouse and and watch a uh, Jayhawks game?" I said, "Of course," because I have a passion for the game. And then I am uh, I in turn took him to Indiana University to a game, and we I, I was decked out all in my Indiana stuff, and uh, we went and saw you guys play Niagara. And okay. you guys kind of treated me with a, you know, probably thought I was crazy coming in there with all my Indiana garb on, but uh, uh, it, it was something else. I know I'm jumping the gun here, but it was it was something else. The uh, the atmosphere and the the um, uh, just the passion that uh, everybody and uh, uh, Jayhawks fans and Fog Allen has. It, it's it's truly unique, and I've played games at Indiana, and it's a it's a phenomenal place and you see the banners uh that obviously coach knight had a lot of influence on um the respect of the game uh by indiana fans i mean it's 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 in your blood 
Well, Kansas is is obviously very similar, but we don't have the Indiana Pacers. We have Kansas City, but you got the Chiefs. So, so you got the Chiefs, you got the Royals, and then you got Kansas basketball. And it's not necessarily in that order. And really, um, you know, both those other two teams are on the Missouri side. And, you know, Kansas is on the Kansas side. So we really are. I mean, Kansas basketball, KU basketball is really it when it comes to that state. And so you have people that go to school. My daughter's going to actually end up going to school there. She, she was accepted. You know, she's going there because part of it is being a part of Kansas basketball and going to games and, and you know, the Sweet 16 runs, the Final Four runs, the chance of winning a national championship. So you would get to a game. I remember I sat out my junior year after transferring from Northwestern, and I'd get there an hour and a half beforehand. I'd get a standing ovation uh, the second I walked on the court. I mean, the love for a Kansas basketball player who nobody really knew who I was, I'd get a standing ovation before every single game and they would cheer every time I made a shot. And I'd be the first guy, first or second guy on the floor every time. And it was like, this is crazy. And then after the game, you're going to sign autographs for an hour and a half. And for a guy from San Jose where basketball is not a big thing, it's, it's really not. I was, I was in hog heaven, you know, like I get to sign autographs for an hour and a half and, uh, I'm a lot funner than I used to be. I'm, um, you know, th- th- this is fun. So Kansas basketball is a unique, unique place, experience. For someone to get a chance to be a part of it, that was great for me. Coach, when did you first get on the radar for uh, uh, getting recruited for um, uh, college basketball? And do you remember the first letter or first uh, person who was interested uh, in you coming to play college basketball for them? Well, so I, I wasn't highly recruited out of high school, especially going into my uh, junior summer, you know, as a rising senior. Uh, playing in San Jose, you, you got noticed by maybe San Jose State, maybe Santa Clara, San Francisco, but I, I wasn't getting highly recruited going into my summer before my senior year. And then I played for, you know, my AAU team. It was, it was really a, kind of a put-together team by, by, by the coach, None of us really knew each other that well, and it was called the San Francisco Spring Development League. And so I played. I played for a guy named Ruben Luna, who recruited me. He actually recruited me off the local team in San Jose, um, and uh, we we had a great summer. We went twelve and one. We uh, we lo- we win the championship uh, in L.A. And there were some great players there: Alonzo Mourning, uh, Harold Miner, who was a big time guy at that time. The Boudreaux brothers went to LSU. I mean, there's some great, great players, and, and we win that thing uh, going away. And then we go to Las Vegas and we play. Uh, shoot, some guys that you you probably remember. We beat a Kentucky team that had Richie Farmer, James Boo Brewer, um, John Pelfrey was a young player at that time, a year younger than us. We beat them, and I think the quarters we beat the New York Gauchos in the uh, I think the semifinals, and then we lose a team that definitely Indiana fans remember. We lose to a team that had a guy named Sean Kemp, a guy named Sean Woods. They also had some California kids. It was a mixed team. So they had Chris Mills, Derek Martin, uh, Don McClain. They had an unbelievable team. I mean, wow. we had we had 13 of 15 of our guys went Division One. Everyone got scholarships. Well, they, they had teams that they had a team that, that uh, had guys going high, high major programs. So that's when it kind of started. I went from being nobody to being, you know, your quote unquote top 100 player really, really quickly. And that's when the recruiting kind of picked up, but still I was a, a really unknown. So really my, my recruitment was still Santa Clara, who I made a visit to San Francisco was recruiting me. They had just come off of uh, some sanctions, right? So Jim Bravelli was restarting the program. I visited Pepperdine who had Jim Herrick, uh, who we all know was a, uh, national championship coach at UCLA and uh, Northwestern. And being a kid that my father grew up in Quincy, Illinois, all you ever hear about is Illinois basketball, right? I mean, Quincy, Illinois had a great – I actually almost transferred there my senior year um, just to experience it, but uh, ended up staying in California. But Northwestern recruited me. I made a visit. I, I just liked everything that I saw. It was a high academic school, and I wasn't a great student. I was a good student, but I was good enough to get a Northwestern. And so, um, really, Bill Donlin did a great job recruiting me. He had talked a lot about his experience with Rick Pitino and those great Providence teams. And he said, we're going we're gonna to be like Providence 
at Northwestern and you're going to be a big part of it. And so I ended up deciding to go to Northwestern. And do you, first, do you feel like moving around as much as you did before finally settling down? Do you, do you think that helped you? It's interesting because my, my kids experience it a lot. You know, I've, <laughs> I've gone from, in my coaching career, I've gone from Florida, Florida Atlantic to San Francisco to um, back to Florida, then to um, Michigan, uh, Detroit, Michigan, work for the uh, Pace, uh, the Pistons. And now we're, we're you know, down in um, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I, I don't know. I, I think in some ways it did help me. It helps you become someone that can adjust and try to build relationships. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say I was the best friend maker. I mean, I have really good friends, but I was a shy kid. Basketball was really what allowed, you know, allowed myself to open some doors for myself in, in terms of relationships. Um, so it, it does help you. you. You get used to, you get a little bit tougher skin in terms of just having to adjust socially to different situations. I think my kids have to face that a lot. It's something that I, you know, I struggle with as a, as a, as a father, you know, having to make my kids move and adjust, you know, I have five kids and, you know, my oldest is probably, she's 20, 22, 23 years old and she's moved more times in there than her, you know, the, the years on her life. So uh, that's a tough one, but I, I do think my kids have adjusted well and it's made them tougher. Hopefully it made me a little tougher too. How'd you enjoy playing in the big 10? Uh, you know, I loved, I loved everything, but the results, you know, the, the big Ten was so good at that time. So, Think about this. Indiana has Jay Edwards, Lyndon Jones, pretty you know Eric, Eric Anderson, pretty good players. Michigan had Ramil Robinson, uh, Glenn Rice, Sean Higgins, Terry Mills, Lloyd Vaught. Michigan State, who was not even that great of a team, Steve Smith had some great teams there. Um, Illinois had Nick Anderson, Kenny Battle, Kendall Gill, like great great teams and. You know, we, we actually had some talented guys. I mean, Walker Lambiot was was one heck of a player who transferred from North Carolina State. Uh, I ended up being a guy that played in the NBA for for you know for a little bit. So we had, but we couldn't we couldn't get a W to save our lives. I think we won two games in both years. Um, but Big Ten basketball was big time. Going to Illinois, going to Purdue, and, and facing Gene Cady's great teams. Um, going to IU, experiencing that. I mean, I, I love that part of it. Even our crowds at Northwestern were really good. I mean, they really supported us. It's just uh, we were like the little engine, but we really couldn't. You know, at that time, we just couldn't get over the hump uh, to beat those type of teams. And, and so that was the reason why I decided to make a move. And, and tell us about that move. Uh, it, it was, was, was it a hard decision to make? And, and tell us about that, uh, how that uh, transpired. Well, it was hard. It wasn't easy. Um, had had a really good recruiting class. David Holmes is from Michigan. You know, Kevin Nixon uh, was a really good player. Evan Peterson. That was my, that was our recruiting class. We all had really top 100, top 150 type of guys. Only problem was we're going against top 50, top 25 guys. And uh, so had you know pretty good relationship with all the guys. Uh, you know, Walker Lambert was going to be graduating, and he took a lot of pressure off of me because he was so so good. He's such a good player. I, I could really be the second guy on the on the scout report. But the, my my thing was is at the end of the day, I'm a basketball player. Is this thing really going to turn so I'll have a chance to play in the NCAA tournament? And if I'm not going to get a chance to do that, I'd, I'd like to. I like my family to see me more. So those are the two factors that went into me deciding to leave. I, I enjoyed playing for Bill Foster. You know, Bill Donlan, I've kept in touch with. His son's now a really good coach at uh, UMKC. Um, you know, uh, had good people, good people there. But I was just going to go home. To be honest, I was, I was going to go home back to California. Uh, I was in a pretty serious relationship with a girl at the time, which we didn't, it didn't end up making it, but that was a factor. Um, I was going to go back to Santa Clara, maybe USF see what was out there but then my AAU coach who I played for had some relationships with people and made some phone calls and all of a sudden you know schools like Arizona and UCLA and and the biggest one for me was Kansas they were interested uh after I decided to leave so difficult decision but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have changed it looking back it wouldn't change it at all it was the right thing to do during that first game when you came to Kansas did you realize you had made the right decision 
Oh, no, that first year was really hard. I mean, we, we played zone primarily at Northwestern, didn't play a lot of man-to-man. I think we all know Roy Williams' teams that, you know, they pressure they pressure the basketball. They're in the passing lane. you got to really be able to guard. When you're denying one pass away and then you're, you're pressuring the basketball, but two passes away, you got to be pulled in. you gotta, you got to have a foot or two feet in the paint. That was that's a lot of work, you know. I mean, that's a lot of work. And offensively, I worked really hard on my game. Defensively, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it. I mean, to be quite honest. So you're talking about a kid that's, you know, two years in the college basketball that doesn't have the defensive habits, right? To to be a good or successful college basketball player at that level. So that first year was really really hard. Coach was on me hard. And and he, the other thing too is. I was a very, very confident offensive basketball player. I always felt that a, a bad shot by me was better than a good shot by other players. So that had to be adjusted too. You know, play, playing at Kansas and you're playing with other good players, um, you you got to you know learn how to share the basketball uh, and make your teammates better. So that was it was an adjustment, and it was a great team that I was a part of. They went to the national championship game. They lose to Duke. In the finals, they actually beat Carolina in the semifinals. Mark Randall was a great player for them, was an All-American. Terry Brown was a great three-point shooter. Adonis Jordan was just a sophomore at the time. So they had a really good team. But the biggest biggest strength of that team, because it wasn't the most talented, none of our Kansas teams were the most talented. But a lot of times we were the best team on the court that night and, and truly a team because of the things I mentioned defensively. We really guarded the ball. You know, we really made your, your offense difficult to run because we were going to deny one pass away. But then we were really pulled in two and three passes away. So it made your, your offense really difficult. And our defense started our offense. But sitting out that year and not ever having to play that hard before and then also that unselfish before was a big challenge for me. It was, a, it was, it was like being a freshman after two years of relatively successful college basketball at Northwestern. How passionate was Coach Roy Williams? Oh my goodness! Uh, well, he's you know he, he's uh, mellowed a lot, and that doesn't mean he doesn't have that same competitive fire. But you know, I even found this when I was a young head coach. You have a you have a burning in your heart, right, and a passion uh, for the game that he scared the living daylights out of me. I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not I'm not afraid of too many people. Uh, I was I was you know physically and mentally scared at times of that dude because he would run you if you didn't do what you wanted to do he'd run you he held you accountable at a very very high level in terms of everything uh everything in terms of how you picked up your tickets for the football game uh how you turned in your tickets where you parked your car um were you going to class were you on were you at class on time um and then obviously the basketball part like every you are held accountable for everything you know, turnovers, poor shot selection, getting back on defense, springing the floor, uh, denying one pass away, guarding the basketball, boxing out and rebounding. I mean, every day you are held to a very, very high standard. And he still does that to this day, but he, he's not quite as intimidating as he was to me back in, you know, the early 1990s. So that was a, that was also a big adjustment. I never had a coach get on me as hard as he got on me. And the year that I sat out, you know, I mean, this is not just when I was going to play. No, this was the year I sat out. He was holding me to a very high standard that, that I hadn't faced before. And you can tell he had something to prove as a coach. He wasn't the first guy selected. He wasn't the first choice of KU. So he had a burning desire to prove a lot of things to a lot of people and probably as much to himself that he could really do it and really coach at that level. If you had to break down <clears throat> percentage-wise where you got a lot of your coaching skills from or who you took a lot of uh, information <clears throat> and education from in, 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 coach, in the coaching aspect, what would that percentage be with Coach Williams? Oh, wow. I mean, it, it, it's I say things that I never thought I would say. Kind of like as a kid that becomes a parent. I say things I thought I'd never say uh, as a coach that, I, that are directly from Roy Williams. So, I mean, I don't know if I can give you a number, but we ran Kansas secondary break. We ran box, uh, you know, for a time. We just tried to 
defend the way that they defended. We would trap the first pass sometimes. We would trap the first dribble across half court. Uh, we would play point zone. Um, and that's something if I ever got a chance, I'd still, I'd still do that, you know, quite honestly. I, I believe in the system. I think defensively there's some things we'd do differently because we just don't have the same level. You know, at the places I was at, we didn't have the same level of athlete that, that he had at Kansas and now has at North Carolina. But so much of what we do in, in terms of if you looked at our practice plan, every day there's an offensive emphasis, there's a defensive emphasis, there's a thought for the day. That's exactly from Coach Williams. There is fast break drill number one, fast break drill number two, fast break drill number three, fast break drill number four, fast break drill number five. That is directly from Coach Williams. He's had a tremendous influence on me. I mean, there's one other person that's probably had as big of an impact, and that's Stan Van Gundy, and I've only worked for him for two years. But, uh, I mean, Roy Williams, Roy Williams, to me, you know, as a coach, if you can emulate and, and do some of the things that and get them to do, that's the biggest thing. It's not just what he does, it's how he gets his teams to do it. I think that's truly the masterpiece of Coach Williams is, yeah, I mean, he learned from the best in Dean Smith, but also he gets you to do it. And I think now as an older coach, he gets you to do it without as much fire and brimstone, which is still pretty impressive. You, you know, while you're at Kansas, I mean, is the thought is the thought in your mind? I know you probably don't say it out loud. And I know you probably don't write it down. But but you, are, are you like is, is your focus is that is I am going to play? I'm going to get paid to play professional basketball. <laughs> well, I think the, one of the things I'll say is uh, it may be more like that now. I think the kids nowadays have changed. Uh, you know, my whole mindset was I want to get to a Final Four. I probably should, if I look back, I probably should have changed this. I probably should have said, we're going to win a national championship because we got to the Final Four, and it's amazing how you so many times reach the goals that, that you've, you have for yourself. But I'm not going to lie to you and say that, that being a, having a chance to play in the NBA wasn't a big part. And I, I'll be honest, I didn't know if I could do that. Uh, you know, one person that, that – I had one person that said it to me like, hey, you can make it. You know, Mark Turgeon said it to me. We were at the track at Memorial uh, Coliseum where they play football doing our conditioning. And I'll never forget it because that's the first time I've ever had a Division One coach tell me, hey, you, you could actually make it. You're actually good enough. And, and this is before I'd actually even played a game. So um, that had a tremendous impact on me. And then all of a sudden I, I, I kind of looked at myself a little bit differently. I said, well, you know, maybe I can make it. You know, Maybe I need to invest more. And I worked pretty hard before then. So uh, – it wasn't the first thought, but then it, it did creep into my mind, and it did became a big part of, of doing it. And I also knew the only way I was going to have a chance to play at that level is I have to win at a very high level in college basketball. I think that's different now. These kids nowadays, you can be a one-and-done. You can be straight to high school pretty soon. and You don't have to prove yourself. You have to have potential. My thought process was different. Like We have to win. We have to win big. And if we do that, I think I'll have a better chance of making it. While at Kansas, what were some of your favorite memories or uh, favorite teams to beat, favorite coaches to beat? And did Roy Williams uh, coach or prepare for each game at the same level? Or were there some times that uh, he wanted to beat somebody pretty bad that he kind of put in a little extra effort in making sure you guys were prepared? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um Obviously, we had we had a big time rivalry versus Missouri, and had some big time games. Had a guy named Anthony Peeler, who was a phenomenal player. You know, Norm Stewart. Uh, everyone loves Norm now. He was, you know, probably one of the most hated uh, <laughs> men uh, in, amongst the league back then. It was the Big Eight. Um, he would actually talk to us during the game, which I, you know, I'll be I'll be honest, I'm guilty of it. But back then, it never happened. Um, so that was always a big one. Going to Missouri, going to Columbia, facing the Antlers. Uh, getting crank phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning at your hotel, <laughs> being greeted by the antlers when you're walking into the gym, you know, having signs about you, you know, personal things about you that were made up, but still, they were still personal <laughs> messages about you. So that was always a big one. Uh, Billy Tubbs had some great teams at Oklahoma. A guy named Brent Price was a really good player there. Jeff Webster was a good player there. Uh, we had some good battles. K-State, uh, they actually beat us in the Big 8 tournament. It's probably one of the most disappointing losses of my life, but I thought it really focused us for the NCAA tournament my senior year. 
But every every the greatest thing about Kansas is everywhere you go, right? Especially in the Big Eight, it's the biggest game of the year for them. So you're getting everyone's absolute best when you play against them, you know. So that's the great thing about Kansas. But also, we talked about just walking into the gym at Allen Fieldhouse for practice, but obviously for games. Uh, that's unbelievable. And in terms of Coach Williams and how he prepped, I mean, very rarely would he mention another team. And it's funny, when he did, we usually didn't play as well. Like, he, he, he talked about playing against Louisville uh, at our place, and we got throttled. And he, he, that was a personal game for him for whatever reason. was a personal game uh, to beat Louisville. We got him the next year at Louisville, but, but he, that's the first time I saw him open up about his feelings about another school. And I don't know why. You know, he didn't get into it that much, but so that was one. Um, in terms of prep for a game, it's amazing that the the best thing about the system, Coach Williams' system, is we didn't have to change a whole lot. Like we deny for one pass away, so that takes teams out of their offense. We jumped to the ball on every pass, right? We we blitzed all ball screens, all of them, every time. Um, so that was the strength of the system, right? We didn't deviate too much. I think there's one time in my two years of playing at Kansas that we adjusted our system. We didn't blitz Jason Kidd. That's the one time we didn't blitz because he was too good a passer. And I think Coach Williams was worried about him beating the double team because there weren't too many guys that could beat our double teams in, the, in a blitz, pick and roll. That's the only time I remember him changing a coverage Right or changing what we did. A lot of times we spend ten minutes on the other team, and the coach, the scout coach, would go over things. And Coach Williams, I always remember him saying, "Our principals take care of that. Our principals take care of that as we walk through stuff." So it gave us great confidence, right, that if we did the things that he asked us to do, we would find a way to get a W. What was the preparation like, or was there any preparation? Uh, uh, for the NBA draft, did you? I mean, what was that like? Were, were you nervous about that? What uh, what thoughts go through somebody's head, and what information are you being fed of where you're going to go? Do people contact you, or is it was it as much of a surprise back then? Of course, today it's not almost. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Um, it's so different than it is today, right? So the season's over, guys start prepping right away. They, they, you know, a lot of times guys will go off and, and they'll do their classes online or talk to their professors and get their homework that way. And, and agents will have them come out to Santa Barbara or, you know, find a trainer for them to work with. Um, so that's different. Well, for me, I just I kept working out like, you know, I was one of those guys. The season was over. I was in the gym the next day. Um, I was going to continue to work and get better and play pickup and play one on one. I probably it got to a point where. I got, quite honestly, I got scared of getting hurt before the draft, so I backed off of playing as much, and I didn't play with the same uh, aggressiveness or, or, you know, um, passion to win. I was like, the, the number one goal right now is not to get hurt. Like, it really is not to get hurt. I don't want to screw up my draft status. So that was different for me. I didn't like that. I, I did have insurance, but still, that's a dream and goal, but for me, nothing really changed. At that time, uh, you probably remember the, the movie Blue Chips was being filmed. So that was interesting because I, I end up reading for the part. Uh, agents would try to set up uh, a way to get you to sign with them. So a lot of the agencies that, that were trying to talk to me, one in particular set up a reading with William Friedkin uh, and with um, – Gosh, uh, what's the name? Nick Nolte. I flew out to California. We're read for the part. They were telling me how they set this up and that you'll have a chance to get the part in the, in the movie if you sign with us. I ended up not going with them. I ended up not getting the part. <laughs> and uh, uh, that's one thing that was different. But we, we did. I did get a, a playing part in it. Um, and we flew out to Indiana. We played some great pickup basketball. Everyone was getting ready for the draft. So, you know, we were playing competitive, but at the same time, no one wants to get hurt. And then we filmed the game, and uh, then we just kept getting ready for, for the draft. 
Let's go back. You you took my uh, question there, which is uh, I, I love the movie. I love the movie Blue Chips. Uh, uh, you know, it was filmed at the uh, uh, where the Frankfurt Hot Dogs play there in in uh, Frankfurt, Indiana. And uh, so, do you still have a SAG card? You know what? I don't, and I'm still waiting on some checks to clear and, and, and get to me. Um, I'm, I'm kind of wondering if I need to, you know, reach out to my old, my agent and find out what's going on. Uh, I always tell on my family, and it's funny about three days ago, we got Amazon prime and, and blue chips. You get it for free. Yeah. So like, Hey, let's just watch this movie. Let's see if it's just any good. My son plays basketball. Both of my sons play basketball. My daughter played this year as well. And they're like, my daughter looks at me like, were you in this? I'm like, yeah, we're only going to watch about the first 10 minutes after that. The movie goes down. So, <laughs> So, I mean, that um, was that was a pretty good that was a couple pretty good squads there with uh, talent in that that first ten minutes, you know. Oh my God, Rick Fox, yeah. Chris Mills. I mean, we had, we had some players. Sam Crawford. Uh, we we had a good team. Um, some really good college players that didn't play in the NBA were playing for us, and we were much and we really did. We put it on Western. I mean, it, it was it was easy. It was for me. It was pretty simple. Get the ball to Rick Fox. Get the ball to Chris Mills. Try to shoot some open jump shots, attack closeouts. But yeah, um, it's interesting. It, it, just being a part of that, seeing the cameras on the floor, being able to dodge them as they're on the floor, chasing guys around, knowing some things that are going to happen. I knew that uh, Nick Nolte was going to kick the ball, and I was like, all right, I didn't get the part. I'm going to get some good face time. So if you watch it, right when he kicks the ball, I try to walk close to him that I'll get some <laughs> camera time, but not too close. So he doesn't try to grab me, you know, and, and do something crazy. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was that was a fun experience with Blue Chips, no question. But we had some really good players, no doubt. You know, before we chat a little bit about the NBA, I mean, I'm, I mean you – and I'd like you to kind of uh, chat about this a little bit or talk about it a little bit. You have – your resume of who has coached you and who you have coached with is just phenomenal. Ah. Uh. Appreciate that. Now I've been blessed. I think the good Lord knew, right? Rex, he's not going to be the next Michael Jordan. He's not going to be the next Kobe, right? But I'm going to put him around some really good people that will have a tremendous impact on him. And and it started, you know. So I, I get to play for Chuck Daly one year in New Jersey, and just watching his level of detail and understanding how to manage an NBA game and give his team the best chance of winning, how to deal with different personalities and egos. I mean, Chuck was really good. God rest his soul. He was really, really good at that. We didn't spend a lot of time talking. He didn't really talk to rookies a whole bunch. He was going to focus in on the guys that he thought were going to help him win. But still, watching him coach, watching him handle timeouts of an 82-game schedule when, when you know, we were in a fight just to get in the playoffs. You know, he coached some of the best teams ever in Detroit, but still managing, you know, and Derek Coleman's a great player. Great players bring a great amount of an ego. You know, Kenny Anderson um, managing, you know, great players that, that you know, want to get it done themselves. Like, that was a lot of fun for me to be a part of and just watch, you know, how he, how he managed it. He always said, you know, my job, I've heard him say this, my job is I'm kind of like a pilot. And I got to make sure that we take off and we're safe. I got the middle, but the biggest thing is I got to land the plane. Like he was really good at taking off and landing the plane and all the stuff that handles in between to make sure that we got to where we needed to go to each game night. What was, did you have an oh crap moment when you got to the NBA or was that, how much different is the NBA from, you know, where you were previously playing, you know, a high level at in college basketball. It was it was a lot different. It was it was a lot different. So you now I go to New Jersey, and you know, Drazen Petrick passes away. That's why they draft me. They also make a trade for Kevin Edge, who was a you know a really good NBA shooting guard. Not not quite an All Star, but definitely a starting caliber shooting guard. And just how good he was. Like I'm a pretty good freaking player. I, you know, I, I went to a Final Four. I was a I was a pretty darn good player and honorable mention, all American, all this, that 16th pick in the draft. Those guys are really good. You go to the basket, 
you've got to be really good with your float game, your finishing at the rim, playing through the rim, knowing when to dunk the basketball, uh, playing off both sides of your body every time you drive the basketball. You've got to be able to, on, on any floppy action coming off a pin down, you've got to see the roll, you've got to see your defender, you've got to create space to get away from your defender who's bigger and stronger than what you're used to, that is more experienced than what you're used to, uh, to create space. Is the guy jumping off the ball off the pass? Do I kick it back? I mean, you, and you got to you got to be able to score. You got to be able to defend at a high level. You got to make the right play over and over and over game again against really really smart, really really tough, really really intelligent basketball players. So it was a big adjustment for me. I, I I did some I had some good nights and I had a solid career. Not a great career by any means. Not even necessarily a good career, but it was a it was just. It amazes me, and, and getting the coach, I got to work for Stan, how good NBA players really are and how they, you know, I always say this to players, like, if you don't know, you don't know, you're kind of screwed. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to coach you, right? You don't know that you don't know, all right? And then you get to a point where you, you, you know that you don't know, right? Like, <laughs> and that's when you start working hard. You know what I mean? Like, oh, geez, I'm not that good. I need to really listen and really get better, right? And then you get to the point where you know that you know, right? Like, I know, and I know how to get it done, right? I know how to become a good player. NBA players, they don't know that they know. Like, they've gone so far past that. There's so many things that they do that they don't even know they're doing because their habits are so good, right? That they they don't even know they're doing so many things so well. It just It just, so that's where an NBA player is. An NBA, a really good NBA player, or even not so good NBA player, they don't even know that they know because all the coaches they've had, all the experiences they've had playing against great players, getting coached in an 82-game schedule with great coaching, right? That's that's how you become an NBA player, if that makes sense. Were you a nose to the and, and throughout your career? Were you a nose to your grindstone to the grindstone? Did you did you? talk a little trash now and then or did you just play your game <laughs> did you just play your game and let your game speak for you well in college i i i, I talked a lot of trash i had a major <laughs> major chip on <laughs> yeah a major major chip on my shoulder like you, you come from san jose you know i, I wasn't even I, I wasn't even the player of the year in my section you know i, I was I was, uh, you know, a skinny white boy from San Jose, California. No, no one comes out of San Jose and makes it. I mean, very few guys, right? I'm from California. It's not even L.A. It's San Jose, right? Like, nobody, nobody knows anything about San Jose basketball. And I don't mean that as disrespect. I love San Jose. It's, it's, it's my city. But, right, I, I go to Northwestern. I, I get recruited by three, you know, really West Coast conference. No Pac-12 school or Pac-10 school at times recruit me. No ACC schools recruit me. I get one offer from one Big Ten school. So, yeah, major chip on my shoulder. My freshman year, I don't play at all. Like, I don't. I play 240-some-odd minutes my freshman year. Don't, so, yeah, I, when, when I got my chance, and because I invested probably so much into it, you know, I'm patting myself on the back a little bit when I say that, but I did. I worked really hard. That I was going to let you know, you know, that, that – you can't stop me. I'm, I'm a lot quicker than you think I am. I'm a lot better than you think I am, and I'm coming at you. And, and so that was my mindset. And because of all the stuff I just talked about, I had probably all that stuff built up, you know, where, where yeah, I was going to let you know it wasn't good enough just to beat you. And, and that's, a, that's a strength and a weakness, but that's kind of who I was. I was going to let you know I was going to give it to you. You know, I've been around a lot of uh, very good basketball players and coaches and, 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 you know, uh, I have no game at all. So that's why I'm so passionate about the game. But, you know, with, with that being said, when you're not playing or if you're on the bench doing other things or other duties, you seem to take more of it in. And I, I, I see things develop and I, I watch coaching strategies and, and I see things happen. was it a flash? Did time and playing go by so fast, or did you were you like a sponge in both college and in the NBA and take everything in as much as possible and still remember it today? Well, I think I had to be. I mean, like I said, I made myself a really good athlete. My father gave me great genes. My mother, you know, got, you know, obviously loved her, but 
you know, my, my mom's a five foot, maybe four <laughs> foot 11 Japanese woman. My father's, you know, five ten. He was a really good athlete. Don't get me wrong. He, he was a really good athlete. But nobody looked at me and said, hey, this guy is going to make it. Right. So I felt like I have to I have to really lock into coaching. And some of it I probably absorbed and I understood it better later on, which most kids do. But I, I was like, I really got to prove to my coaches that I can help them win. But I also have to prove to them that, guess what, I'm bought into what you're doing. And I, so I learned a lot of great lessons from Bill Foster right at Northwest and from Roy Williams at Kansas, from uh, Chuck Daly with the New Jersey Nets, Larry Brown at Philadelphia, Johnny Davis at Philadelphia, John Lucas at Philadelphia. Uh, let's not talk about the fact that I named, you know, four coaches in Philadelphia, and I was there for all that time, so maybe I was a coach killer. But, but And then going to Miami and playing for Pat Riley, right, and, and a phenomenal Hall of Fame, unbelievable motivational speaker, great passion, great attention to detail, learned so much from him. Right, and then get introduced to Stan Van Gundy and watching him as an assistant and how he handled it, and then later on getting a chance to work for him in Detroit. So I, I've been really, really blessed. Like Larry Brown, uh, it, just some great, great coaches. I, I was like, I really have to lock in, even if I'm not playing as much as I wanted, and I, and I never was. I never felt like I got the opportunity I wanted, and, and all players think that way when they don't play as much. But I did really lock in to the systems that they were putting in place. I, 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 we guard, you know, floppy action. Uh, when I coach, we, we guard it the same way Chuck guarded it. We teach the same way Stan Van Gundy teaches it. You know, we, we, I try to tap into Coach Riley's motivation, but also so much of we ran so much of their stuff out of the box. We ran, you know, four up, five up, five up, you know, twirl, like five up twist, like – so I, I've taken so much from each and every one of them that's kind of formed me, and then I, you got to find out what works for you as a coach. But, but, yes, they've had a tremendous impact. But I felt like I had to as a player to give myself the best chance of playing. You know, traveling, and it's, this has been all your life, um, are there any good, funny traveling stories that you had while you were in the NBA? Was it, did it get just into a repetitious mode of get on the plane, you fly here, back to back, you fly back here? You know, was there, was there any doubts you would actually make it to the destination that you were supposed to make it? I mean, what was that like? Or was it such a uh, – uh, did it go by so fast that, you know, you don't have a, a recollection of any of that? Well, the best story I'll tell you when I was playing. So I'm playing in Philadelphia. I was traded uh, with Derek Coleman and Sean Higgins to Philadelphia for Sean Bradley. And at the time, it was a pretty big deal, right? Like right. Two, two, two big-time players. So anyways, we're, we're, Derek gets hurt. He's not playing basically the whole season. We're awful. I mean, we're awful. We, I think we end up winning 18 games, and we won four out of our last eight to finish the season. So we're getting on this plane, and, and we're flying to Denver. And our plane, it's different back then. You didn't have these fancy jets or, you know, these uh, now I think Delta jets. They charter for a lot of the NBA teams. We had this uh, plane, and it was just all silver. No, no writing on it, nothing. So we called it the silver bullet. So we're getting on the silver bullet. And, and, and trust me, we, we've won maybe 11, 12 games at this point in the season. We're starting our West Coast trip. We're flying to Denver. And all of a sudden, and you've probably flown in Denver before, it's not the best place to fly into in terms of turbulence, right, and the air changes and this, that, and the other. So all of a sudden, we're flying, and we just make like a, I don't even know how big a drop, a 500-foot drop. There's, there's like food flying everywhere. There's stuff in the air. We're throwing stuff up. Guys are grabbing their seats. Like, we think we're going down. Like, this is it. We're awful as a basketball team, right? We're flying to Denver. This is going to be it. And I just remember, like, we ended up making it through, and, and, and we, we land the plane. And I just remember Vernon, Vernon Maxwell, and he was one of the funniest dudes I ever played. He was like, he just looked up, and John Lucas was our coach. He said, Luke, hey, man, I know things are really bad right now, but I just didn't I, – I thought they were out to get us on this one. So, like, we were, like, we were like literally thought they were trying to kill us because we were that bad. So, so – um, but uh, yeah, I, that's the one story because yeah, that's the one story I do remember. But I, I also remember this: like, I wake up, I don't know what date or I don't know what date it is, 
I don't know what day of the week it is. The only thing I know is the bus leaves at 11 o'clock. I mean, that's the NBA life. You don't know what city you're in. You don't know what date it is, what date. But, hey, the bus leaves at 11. You better be on. So that's, that's kind of NBA travel, uh, especially in my first year. I was like, this is crazy. I've never experienced anything like it. Coach, what was your number selection like? Uh, I think you've worn two and 23. Are those the only two numbers that you wore while, during your playing days? Uh, actually, my last year, I was number three. So I was number 23 was retired with the, with the Nets. Um, so couldn't, couldn't do that. When Drazen had just passed away, my two numbers I always liked were number 23 uh, because of Michael Jordan and then number three because of another Rex, Rex Chapman. Those are the two numbers I liked. I was usually twenty three though. I never really was number three. So I get I get the number two. Can't have number three because it draws. I get uh, traded to Philadelphia. They just put the number right out. Like you're twenty three. They didn't even ask me. Uh, so I ended up being twenty three in Philadelphia. Uh, go to Miami. Same thing. I get I get waived by Philly. Uh, I go down to Miami about ten days later, and the jersey's just sitting there twenty three. And then my last year. I kind of knew it was probably going to be my last year in Miami, um, especially it, it was kind of a make or break year for me. Like either I'm going to bust in the rotation or, or I'm not going to be here. Like, you know, they're going to either trade me, wave me, uh, get rid of me. So I, I said, Hey, give me, give me number three this year. I want to be number three. So now the, the sad thing about that is I got that Jersey, right. And I was a head coach at San Francisco for eight years. And like a dummy, I, I framed my Jersey but I only framed the front, right? The front of the jersey is Miami number three. So now every recruit that comes into my friggin' office is, man, you and Dwayne Wade, you guys must be pretty close. He sent you a jersey? So I, I had to deal with that for a long time. And so I just finally said, forget it. I'm going to take that jersey down, put a 23 jersey up there. You know, it's very interesting that, you know, the, that's the first the, the first person I thought of when you said number three was Rex Chapman. That That's interesting how some of that gets burnt into your memory. And of course, I was thinking of Jay Edwards. But um, uh, when, when, <laughs> when does this light go off in your head, though? Is it during the NBA? Is it in, during college basketball that you're like, you know what? I want to coach this game after my playing career is over. And how hard was it for you to put up your sneakers? Yeah, so uh, it was always a thought. Even when I was at Kansas, Coach Williams asked me, what, what do you want to do when you're done playing? I said, I want to coach, Coach. Um, I, took, I was a secondary education uh, major at Kansas because I, wanted to, I was going to teach high school basketball, teach high school social studies or whatever, and then I was going to coach. And then I came to the realization, how unfair is it for the six periods that I teach social studies or American history that all I'm thinking about is basketball? I was like, that's really, that's really not good for our educational system for me to do that. So I said, hey, I'm going to try to coach in college. So uh, the, the whole time I was thinking I'm going to be a college coach. I'm going to try to work and be a college coach. So towards the end of my career, I, 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 did. I, I, I signed a one-year contract with the Indiana Pacers, uh, was released right before the start of the season. Played in the ABA, the Kansas City Knights, uh, was an ABA team at that time. Uh, Kevin Pritchard, who's now actually the Indiana Pacers uh, GM, I believe, um, was the coach. And so I played, I played one year with the, with the Kansas City Knights. I ended up getting hurt during the middle of the season. Rehab, do all that stuff, come back. I signed a one-year contract to go play in Spain. So I go play in Spain, um, come back, do it again, play in Spain one more year. And then, unfortunately, I tore my meniscus the second time in Spain. I came home. I did my rehab. I got ready. My agent at the time, Mark Bartlestein, with Priority Sports in Chicago, he, uh, he says, hey, I can get you a summer free agent workout with uh, Raptors. I can get you up to Boston. You can work out. They're having a, a fall free, uh, uh, a summer free agent camp. You know, let's go to those two spots and see if we can get, you know, just a training camp invite, you know, a non-guaranteed. You're going to have to make the team. I said, great, let's do it. Uh, go up there. I thought I played really well. I thought I played really well in Toronto over the course of two days. Go to Boston. I, I played really well, I felt, in, Bo- you know, in Boston. I was like, all right, I'm going to get something. Like, someone's going to offer me something, even if it's just a training camp offer to come to training camp. Well, I'm sitting there in Kansas City. I have a, 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 one of my favorite homes ever in Overland Park, Um and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm talking to my agent. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Is anything going to pop? And he's like, Rex, you're an eight year, you'd be an eight-year minimum. 
that's that's eight hundred thousand dollars. Even if you come as a non guarantee, that's just more money than teams want to spend to bring in the training camp. He's like, I don't think you're going to get anything. You're going to have to probably wait until the second or third cycle in the middle of the season to you know get a contract or get get an opportunity to come on a ten day. I was like, oof. I was like, and, and you know, I, that's when that's when you know hair on fire. Mad at the world, Rex comes out, and I said, "Well, screw it then. If, if, if I can't get an invite, I'm going to retire." And I just remember, I didn't. I was, I was mad, and I look over at my wonderful wife, Deanna, and she's crying. She's like, "Oh, she's so sad." She's like, "I, I just didn't think you were going to ever retire or give it up." But that's really it. I mean, that's that's really how it happened. Um, that next day, I mean, actually, not the next day. It took a little bit of time, um, but I did start working on you know high school jobs and college jobs, reaching out to everyone I knew in the business, all the former coaches that I, that I played for trying to get, and then I got a high school job as an assistant. I actually applied for a couple high school jobs, couldn't get it because I, I, I didn't have my teacher's credential. And then Ed Fritz, who he actually coached the McDonald's All-American game last year. He's a great coach in, in Overland Park, Kansas. Uh, Blue Valley Northwest have had some really good players. Christian Bronze at, at uh, Kansas right now. Um, they've had some really, really good players. And um, he said, hey, do you want to come as my assistant and just be a, you know, off-campus coach? So I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. Really enjoyed it. He was great to work for, like, unbelievable passion, toughness, teaches it all. Um, and then at the end of that season, I continued to reach out to all the people I knew. And Mark Turgeon reached out to a guy named uh, Dave Moe, who was the head coach at Emporia State. I Dave's nice enough. He gives me. We, I remember we did about a five-hour interview in his office, just talking about everything, right? He says, "Hey, if you want to come, you know, you can come join us as whatever you want to call it, volunteer assistant, graduate assistant. You know, I can't pay you much, but uh, we'd love to have you." So, I start driving an hour and a half every day to go being a, a volunteer assistant at Emporia State University. Well, I'm there through the summer, through the fall, and uh, that's when things kind of shook out at Valpo where Scott Drew was leaving to go to Baylor. Baylor was going through a lot of different things with their basketball program at that time. So it's kind of amazing what, what Scott's been able to do at Baylor. Like yes, when he took the job yes, over, it, it was, it is. yeah, it was mass, like almost insanity, the stuff that was going on there. You know, um, I call Bryce and I say, Hey, what's your, what's your, what's Scott going to do? Is he looking for anybody? And then what is Homer doing? Cause I'm hearing he's going to come back. Well, Scott calls me right away. He's like, Rex, I got a great idea for you. I'm like, what's up? He's like, be a graduate manager. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. (laughs) If you're a graduate manager, you can play with our guys every day. You know, I can't pay you much. I can pay you maybe $10,000. But, you know, we're only going to have like eight guys on scholarships. So it's perfect for me to just have you to play every day. And I'm like, Scott, hey, I really appreciate it. That means a lot of like I I can make more than $10,000 if I keep playing. You know, like that's not something I want to do, Scott, but I do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's not something I'm really interested in. I want to coach. So he was great about it. He understood where I was coming from. And about two days later, Homer calls and said, hey, do you want to interview for the job here? And so I interviewed for the job. Um, went really well. He's uh, obviously Homer Drew is just such a great man, number one. Uh, what he did at Balpo was truly amazing and, and you know, he went out the box and signed a lot of overseas players and, and uh, did it that way, but also would keep, you know, good in-state players from the state of Indiana. He recruited Illinois really hard and was really, you know, at that time it was, uh, I want to say it was the mid-con conference, was a mid-con power, uh, mid-major power. And I got to work for him for two years and, and learned a lot, learned about trying to be a heck of a lot more positive because that's what Homer is. He's super positive, super upbeat, high energy um and got to work for him for two years so you know that's how I kind of got to got my foot in the door in terms of college basketball you know and I I think the other guy that we were thinking of in the Valpo area was Jim Masters who went on to play for Kentucky um oh yeah yeah but uh does the Kansas you you know and I know I'm running long and I know your time is uh is precious uh precious but does the Kansas brotherhood kind of lead you to where you are today in your coaching situation? I, I, it really does. I mean, what Coach Williams, here's the thing about Coach Williams. So San Francisco job, 
has a tremendous impact on that. I get my first job at Florida Atlantic working for who? Matt Doherty, who coached me at Kansas. So just think about that. My first, my first associate head coaching job at, you know, after Valpo was working for Matt Doherty, Kansas ties right there. Um, when I go to San Francisco, and, and actually, actually before that, I interviewed for different jobs. I interviewed after I got the head coaching job at FAU, which I know he, Coach Williams helped me with. I go to Mercer. Eddie Fogler was a search firm that was involved with that, who's obviously connected to Coach Williams. They coach together. I get offered that Mercer job. I don't take it, but I, but I got offered that job. I, uh, I go to Moorhead State, right? I go to Moorhead State. I interviewed for that job before Matt went, left SMU. Coach Williams, who I hadn't called, I hadn't reached out to, calls me up the day I'm on campus at Moorhead to do the on-campus interview and says, Rex, I've talked to the AD. I've talked to the president. Like, you know, I think you're in a good situation. It's going to be hard, but, you know, just work hard at it. Hopefully it goes well and keep me up to date. Like, Coach Williams has been involved in all this. Mark Turgeon helped me get my job at Emporia State. Um, Danny Manning, obviously there's a tremendous connection there. Uh, J.E.B., Justin Bauman, our director of operation, was a Kansas grad who was a manager at KU. So, yes, the, the, the Kansas slash Coach Williams, you know, North Carolina. I mean, it's funny. I remember sitting in an elevator. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse walks in, and we're talking about, you know, Kansas and Carolina. He's like, yeah, we kind of think you guys as kind of our cousins. You're not really family, but you're still kind of cousins. <laughs> so that's, that's just kind of the way we view it. And, and, and obviously it's changed even more because Coach Williams went to Carolina. But, but anytime I have a job, you know, I'll reach out to Coach Williams. I'll reach out to Matt Doherty. You know, I, I'll talk to Kevin Stallings. I'll talk to Mark Turgeon. I'll reach out to Steve Robinson, all the guys that I played for about, hey, have you guys got any guys you think I should talk to about my staff? You know, I always did that, um, you know, anytime I was trying to put together a staff. Coach, you know, Coach Manning obviously gives me a job because of a connection to Kansas. He knows me. He knows what I'm about. He knows how I handle my business. That opens the door for me to come here to Wake Forest. So, yes, I mean, I always tell people that want to get involved in basketball, I said, be around really good people. I said, work for someone you really respect and trust, right? Because those, you know, those people are going to help you down the line. If, if you can't, if you don't respect them, you don't trust them. It's not a good situation to go to. I, I got really, really lucky to work for guys like Homer Drew, Roy Williams, uh, Chuck Daly, Pat Riley, Stan Van Gundy, Got a chance to experience Larry Brown for a year. Like, I've been really, really blessed. And all the people that they know, right, like stand to this day, uh, will make phone calls on my behalf, you know, uh, about certain jobs. And, and, and so and that's a great resource for me to have. But I've been really, really blessed and fortunate. But also, you know, I, I've, I've always tried to put myself in a position to be around really good people. So I think that's really, really important. You know, I thought I had the true definition of six degrees of separation down pat with myself, but man, I, I think uh, it's a perfect under the definition of your life in basketball. Um, Coach, one, one, one last thing, and it, of course this is nostalgic, but uh, what do you think of how this season has ended? Do you think uh, seniors are going to be extended another year of, uh, of eligibility? And uh, what were you guys kind of working toward? Did you, have, like, did you have a bright future for what was going to happen in the uh, uh, conference tournament this year? And, 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 and what's going on in college basketball while this um, you know, lockdown or uh, quarantine thing is going on with this vi- virus? Yeah, it's a crazy time, isn't it? It's really a crazy time. Like our season was officially done, uh, so I don't know how that would affect our seniors. I think the NCAA is going to have a a lot of question to answer because there's only going to be, you know, technically 64 teams that were 68 teams that are going to call up for this tournament. Well, does that mean those seniors get to stay, but everyone else has to go? It's like that's just I don't I don't see how the seniors are going to come back, and I feel awful for them. I think the 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 one. The one, the negative, obviously, their season was taken away from them, and that's awful. I mean, that, that's awful. I can't imagine that being the case when you have so many hopes and uh, still left for the season. I think the one, this sounds a little crazy, but the one good thing is not everyone, everyone, every season, there's only really maybe three or four teams that are really happy at the end of the season, 
right? Because you got the NIT, you got the CIT, you got the CBI, you got the NCAA. There's only four teams that are really happy. Well, now everyone can say, hey, I think we could, really could have won it. We really could have got to a 316. We could have got to a Final Four. And who the hell knows if that's even close to being the truth, right? So, so in that way, there's some good. When those guys look back, they can all say, like, no, we really had a legitimate chance of winning this thing. We were good. Well, okay, we all get better as we get older. So that's the positive. Right now, it really hurts. It's a crazy time. Like our, our family's in the house and, you know, we're working remotely in terms of recruiting. I, I think that we've got a really, uh, we've got a chance to be really good next year at Wake Forest. I'm excited about next year's team. We, we return Olivier uh, uh, Saar. We return Shondi Brown, our two second and third leading scorer from last year. We signed a really good recruiting class. So I'm excited about that. Um, we probably need to pick up a, a you know one piece or two based on you know what's going to happen with the transfer wire and, and you never want to see kids leave and I know Danny's very loyal to his guys but, you know sometimes guys decide hey it's time to make a change but uh, we feel like we got a team that can that make it make a move next year the, the biggest question is when, when are we going to get a chance to start working again so we all got to be safe out there our podcast we can't do any too many live podcasts that's for sure but uh, you know. Hopefully this thing's uh, not going to change this thing too dramatically, and hopefully we can get back to work here in the next month or two. You know, social distancing, uh, I'm in Houston, you're in Winston-Salem. I think we did a really good job of that today. Phenomenal. It, it, that, that's the, <laughs> first, the first thing I wanted to know was, what's the social distancing? Do I have to come in studio? He said, no, no, Rex. We're not flying your butt out there. Okay. <laughs> so I appreciated that, if, you know. Well, Coach Walters, thank you so much. You know what? I, I This is probably the most enjoyable uh, interview I've had on this side of the microphone. I, I really learned a lot, and uh, I think uh, everyone will enjoy this thoroughly. I appreciate your uh, uh, your time and uh, um, uh, efforts. I appreciate you having me. I, I don't know if you learned anything, but hopefully it was relatively entertaining. But thank you. <laughs>